0: Amen. You may be seated. I can remember the fight that was the beginning of a divorce that led to me coming into relationship with Jesus like it was yesterday. I remember I was out riding bikes with my friend Matt that lived down the street. And I don't know what had happened, uh, so maybe I don't remember it like it was yesterday. (laughs) But we were out riding our bikes, and I was so excited. Something happened on this grand adventure of ours. Um, Maybe I pulled a wheelie longer than I ever had before. Uh, And I, I came in to the house, and I ran up the stairs, and I wanted to tell my mom and my stepdad, like, hey, something really cool and exciting just happened. And they were fighting. And the fighting had been taking place for quite a while at this point. Um, Things certainly weren't great in this marriage, um, but I remember just feeling completely devastated. I remember feeling just hopeless. I remember feeling a sense of despair, um, just completely out of control. And so upset that I ran past them at the top of the stairs, and I went to my closet. I went to my room. That wasn't enough. I needed to remove myself from the situation as much as I could, and uh, I ran to my closet, and I locked the door behind me, and I remember just kind of hunkering down in that closet and crying out to the Lord, and I remember I had my children's Bible. It was so happy, and it was full of pages that were just all pastel colors, and it just told me the story of a God that loved me, and I remember thinking in that moment, God, Like, if you're real, I need you to meet me exactly where I'm at right now. As a little boy, six, seven, maybe eight years old. And I remember, without a doubt, in a supernatural way, feeling that God came down from heaven and put himself right there in that closet with me. And in a supernatural presence, just completely wrapped me up. My worries, my concerns were on everything that was happening outside of that closet. It was on a divorce that was set into place. It was on, how is my mom? Is she okay? Is she going to be okay? This was one of those one-sided fights where one person is defending themselves the whole time and the other is just yelling their minds out. Those things were so big in my mind that I needed someone to take my mind off of that. I needed something, some kind of sense of hope, some kind of sense of peace. And in that moment, God shows up. And in that moment, his presence is bigger than any of those problems. And in that moment, he showed this little boy, scared in a closet, that he loved him. And that he cared for me. And that he was there with me. And I'll never forget, it was like the biggest bear hug I've ever received in my whole life. And I know some pretty big dudes, and uh, they give some pretty big hugs. And uh, it was like one of those. You know, it was absolutely incredible. God's presence was bigger than any of my problems. So our first point today is in our problems, let's focus on His presence. We've been going over different thought war tactics, different thought war strategies, because we live in a world that is at war. We are a part of a spiritual war that is taking place all around us in a realm that we cannot see. And we know that there are angels, that there are demons that are fighting for us, that these angels want us to take the right road. They want us to operate in the spirit, but these, this demonic presence in our lives wants us to follow the world, wants us to follow the enemy, wants us to follow our flesh, to fall into temptation, to believe lies that are hurled against us by the enemy day after day after day. And so for the last three weeks, this will be our last one today. We've been going over different strategies, different tactics. How do we combat the enemy when it comes to the lies that he throws into our minds? Because not every thought that comes into our minds, not every thought that crosses our brains is us. It's, there's influence from the outside that is coming in. And so the first of our strategies this morning and the last of our last two is in our problems, focus on his presence. I think a lot of times we can get so fixated on the presence of our problems that we completely lose sight of the presence of God. We can look at the life of Elijah One of the major prophets of the Old Testament, that didn't necessarily mean he was a big deal, that just means he liked to write a lot more than the minor prophets did. So Elijah tells us in his story in 1 Kings, we see that Elijah had seen some pretty incredibly big things leading up to the event that we're diving into today pretty big things where God shows up over and over and over and over, and then we find him in a situation much like we find ourselves in time after time again. You see, Elijah predicts a drought, and what happens? The drought happens. You see, if you were a prophet and one of your prophecies didn't come true, it wasn't like, all right, you get a 99 on that test. It was, no, you're not, you're a false prophet. You're not a true prophet, so now we burn you at the stake. So, If Elijah prophesied something in the Holy Spirit that was in him and dwelled in him, it came true. So during this drought, ravens bring him food to eat throughout the drought. I think that's pretty miraculous in itself. There's no food throughout the land. It's quite scarce, and so a raven brings it to you. I'm not sure I would have eaten it, but he did, and he stayed alive. He's a prophet. I'm not. He stays with the widow and her son, and they hardly have any food. And so what does he tell her? he says, all right, I need you to take the last of your food. I need you to bake it, and I need you to bring a portion of it to me. And so unknowingly, she does. She trusts this prophet, and what happens is the food is multiplied for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. That same widow, her son dies, and what happens? Elijah raises him back from the dead. And then all this takes place before where we end up today. We're going to spend a little bit of our time this morning. Elijah is told to go to King Ahab. And when he goes to King Ahab, God will bring rain. Now, Elijah doesn't just go to King Ahab. Elijah goes to King Ahab and he picks a fight. He says, hey, you worship a false god. I'm calling your false god out. This false god that you worship, Baal, can't stand against my God. And so not only does he pick a fight with King Ahab, he picks a fight with 450 prophets of Baal, and he picks a fight with 400 prophets of Asherah. And he says, we're having a showdown um, on Mount Carmel. If you were raised in the 90s, this is WWE smackdown between our God, Yahweh, and this false god of Baal. And it is going down. So the showdown commences. Two bulls are prepared. They're cut up and they are put on altars. And Elijah says, whoever serves the real God, that altar will light a blaze and no man will interfere with it. God will light it himself. And so I think like any smart man, you want to settle a debate on who's the realist, you have a barbecue cook-off. All right. <laughs> and that is exactly what is taking place. And not only does he say, all right, you've got the meat on your altar. I've got this cut up bull. It's on my altar. They start dancing and all of that, and after hours and hours of dancing around it and worshiping their false God and cutting themselves as is their custom, Elijah says, You know what, I'm gonna up the ante. And he drenches his altar with water, and he says, My God will still show up, because Yahweh God can do anything. And what does God do? He sets it ablaze. And in the midst of the showdown, Israel rounds up all the false prophets of Baal, all the false prophets of Asherah, and they're put to the sword. And then God sends rain upon the land. And then Elijah gets word that King Ahab's wife, this woman named Jezebel, is sending out Dog the bounty hunter to find him. And she is going to have him killed. And so what does Elijah do? Well, he just walks up like he's Conor McGregor, right, back in his prime. And he says, not going to happen. I just saw God do this, 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 and this. And then he just set this altar ablaze to your false God. And wouldn't it be awesome if that's what Elijah said? No, instead, in his human condition, being imperfect, having doubt, having fear, having insecurity, what does Elijah do after God shows up and he does all these incredible things? He tucks tail and he runs. And he runs and he runs and he runs. And he finds himself in the wilderness. He eventually makes his way to a cave. And he falls into despair. And when he falls into despair, he encounters the Lord. And we see in First Kings 19, 11 through 12, what the Lord says to him. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. That's First Kings 19, 11 through 12. If not, we have it on the Sky Bible behind us. You'll be set. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great, strong, a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. What do we see here? see that God just showed up in a mighty way at Mount Carmel at this spectacular showdown where he brings fire on the altar. Surely Elijah is going to encounter, surely Elijah in his hopelessness and despair is going to encounter God the same way that he just encountered God, in the same way that he had been encountering God over and over and over, through a bird bringing him food, through food being multiplied, through raising a a widow's dead son. But that's not what happens. God doesn't show up in spectacular ways. The emphasis here is on God's quiet ways. In Hebrew, this is translated to the low whisper. It literally means a voice, a sound, a thin silence. There had to be a thin silence in order for him to experience God. So just real quick when we take inventory of our lives, when we take inventory of our weeks, there are so many of us that are running from something. It may not be a threat from Jezebel on your life. It may be a problem. It may be a sickness. It may be an illness. It may be a pandemic. It may be a boss at work. It may be a bad relationship. There are problems that we find ourselves running from. Let's not lose God in his thin silence. Let's not lose his voice in trying to fill our lives up with things and completely miss where he wants us to be still and completely miss where he wants us to be silent. Let's prepare a way. Let's set aside some time where we can be still, where we can be quiet with the Lord, where we can spend time in prayer, where we can spend time in his word, where we can experience him. Let's not be so quick to fill up our schedules so that we can ignore the problems that are coming after us. So, question. Are we only seeking to experience God in the big things? I can definitely remember back to that time in the closet as a young boy thinking, God, if you would just reconcile this marriage. I wasn't a smart kid, so I definitely didn't know what reconcile meant. But, God, if you could just heal this relationship, God, if you could just bring my mom and my stepdad back together, I was looking for God in the big things. But where did I find God? I found God in hopelessness and despair in my closet, in the silence where he wrapped me up, where his presence was bigger than my problems. So, are we setting aside time in a thin silence to experience him? Are we allowing the presence of our problems to block out the presence of God? If we are, we're going to do the same thing we've been working on this entire series is we have to reframe, 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 reframe. When that comes, when those problems come and we meet God in the thin silence and we realize that His presence is bigger than our problems, we need to reframe the situation. We need to turn to God and say, God, God, you are here for me. Remember, if it's all these lies that are constantly coming against us, we have to reframe these lies with truth. that truth that is found in the word, God, you are here with me. God, you know what I am feeling. God, you know my situation. God, what are you showing me? God, what are you doing in me? And God, thank you, because I know that one day, You will use this for yourself. You will use this for your kingdom. And so if that is you this morning, if you are walking into Asante Church and there are problems, there is a presence of a problem that seems so big. I want you to know that when we have had enough, when you have had enough, that God is always enough, that he can meet you and he wants to meet you exactly where you are. No matter what fear, no matter what doubts, no matter what insecurity, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you did 10 years ago, He loves you. He cares for you. And He wants to experience whatever you are going through right alongside you. And He wants to bring you up and out of that. So instead of focusing in on our problems, we experience His presence. And we experience His presence. We can shift to a perspective of praise. That's our second point this morning we shift to a perspective of praise. Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, what you request be made known to God. Where's my anxious people at in the house? Uh, don't, don't raise your hand too high. I know that causes anxiety. <laughs> okay. People might look at you. <laughs> I know that's definitely me. And I know that it's not just me. I know that there is so much anxiety, especially in the climate of today's world where we don't know where or where not. We're supposed to wear a mask. We don't know what the news is going to tell us next. We don't know what strand of a virus is going to branch off and be a threat to us. We just don't know what life is like, necessarily, anymore. And anxiety was already present in our lives, but then you add everything else on top of it, and it just amplifies. What does Philippians 4, 6 says? It says, do not be anxious about anything. So when we are anxious, when anxiety comes our way, how do we address it? We address it from shifting our focus from our problems to shifting our focus So praise. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. All right, so prayer. We're anxious. We pray. We talk to God. We communicate with God. God, I am anxious. I I want you to know God knows you're anxious already. He sees you running around like a chicken with your head cut off. He knows what's going on in your life. He's like, ah, I think you need to talk to me about this because you're about to make some choices based out of that anxiety that are off of fear. And they're not going to be very healthy. And they're certainly not going to sustain you. You're trying to survive out here. And if you had me, and if you turned to me, you wouldn't be worried about survival, but you'd have peace and you'd be thriving instead of just surviving. So we pray. We talk to God. We take our anxiety to Him. And it says with prayer and supplication, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know what supplication means, but I have a dictionary, so I looked it up, okay? Okay. It's not talking about supplements. It's not saying pray and take your vitamins, all right? (laughs) That's what Hulk Hogan said. (laughs) Supplication. Asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. I think there are some of us who are at the point of coming to God in prayer. I think there are some of us who are at the point of supplication, which is earnestly and humbly asking and begging before the Lord. Because there's been something going on in our lives for so long that these problems seem like Mount Everest. And we've lost sight of a God who's infinitely bigger than that. We pray. Supplication takes place. I'm not really even sure how to use that word in a sentence sometimes. And then there's Thanksgiving. In anxious times, in anxious thoughts, we go to God with praise. We remember who he is, we remember what he's done, and we thank him for who he is, and we thank him for what he's done. It says, let your request be made known to God. So let God know what is going on. Let God know what you need. Shift to a perspective of praise. The scripture is written in a letter to the church in Philippi, By the Apostle Paul. And so we are about to dive into a story in the life of the Apostle Paul that takes place when he is in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 25. And we see that Paul and Silas end up in prison. A lot of really bad things happen to them. But what do they do? They go back to that verse that Paul wrote himself with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're not anxious about anything and everything. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, they let the request be made known to God. So, in Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 25, it says, The crowd joined in attacking them, that is, attacking Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely, which just seems really ironic to me, considering everything that just happened. These guys that are almost dead, keep them safe, all right? By the way, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet and stocks. Okay, that's a lot. These guys just underwent absolute hell. And in verse 25, what do they do about it? about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In the midst of all the mayhem, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of everything that had come against them, they are praying and they are worshiping God. Think about when you have a bad day at work. What is your immediate response when you get in the car and you are on the way home? I'm going to flip on Love, and I'm going to sing me some Chris Tomlin, and I'm going to bless the Lord on my soul. That's why I don't leave worship here. <laughs> Chances are we don't end up in prayer. Chances are we don't end up in worship, and that's just a bad day at work. What about when your kids lash out against you? What about when you and your spouse are not on the same page? What about when you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor? How often is it turning to the Lord, praying, thanking Him, praising Him, forgetting about the problem, and instead focusing on praise to the Lord? They were just attacked by a crowd. They were stripped of their clothing. They were beaten with rods. They were imprisoned, and they were immobilized. And by the way, just in case you were wondering, none of this was what we would call fair, all right? Because of who they were, what they were supposed to have done before all this is to be able to have a defense for themselves so the complete practice of justice in the legal system that was supposed to take place during all this was just completely ignored beaten, stripped, imprisoned and immobilized and they never even got a chance to defend themselves so what did Paul, and Silas do? What do we do that we can take away from their example? We shift from problems, and we focus, and we reframe on praise, because our problems will always be there. Our problems will rarely ever be fair. Maybe a consequence, yes, but fair, most of the time not. Our problems will always be big, But let's rephrase this and reframe it in the truth. Our God will always be with us in the midst of our problems. Know that. Know that what you are going through this morning, that God loves you and he is in the midst of it with you. Reframe fairness. We can whine, we can be like little kindergartners and say, that's not fair, that's not fair. I wish this didn't happen to me. And I want you to know, no, it's not fair. But you want to know the most unfair thing that ever happened? The most unfair thing that ever happened was when a perfect, sinless man, fully God, fully man, and the person of Jesus, lived a perfect life and took the cross for my place. That was my cross that I deserved. That was my sin that he died for. You tell me what's fair about that. You tell me what's fair about him dying for your sin. Let's reframe what fair is. So anytime we have problems in our lives, anytime it seems like it's just not fair, let us look back to the cross and realize, no, what's fair is me up on that cross. What's unfair is that I have been forgiven because of the work of Jesus. When I accept him as my Lord and my Savior, I am set free from sin. I am set free from my flesh. I am set free from death. I don't have to experience an eternity away from and outside of the love of the Father because of the unfairness that is the cross. That's unfair. And in the midst of our problems, no matter how big they may seem, let us always remember that our God is infinitely bigger than any problems that we may have. Instead of focusing on our seemingly big problems, let us praise God, who is not only bigger than our problems, but is in control our problems. When the work of Jesus's death on a cross has changed our lives, we can praise God no matter what comes our way. When we operate out of his victory over sin, over death, and the enemy, we can praise God no matter what problems come our way. And when we've experienced salvation by grace through faith in him, we can praise him no matter what comes our way. We can praise him in our families. Let's take a look at some examples. Let's start practicing that reframing because this series is almost over. You know what's not almost over? This war that's waging all around us, the problems that we have in our homes, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, in our lives, and the enemy's attack on our minds and for our thoughts. So in our marriages, instead of saying, I've got to do X, Y, Z for my spouse, sorry, it's just something I have to do let's reframe. Say, this is something that I get to do. I get to love my spouse. I get to serve my spouse. And then let's say, thank you, God, for this opportunity to love my spouse as you have loved me. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to serve my spouse as you have served me. Instead of saying with our husbands, with our wives, oh, we just We just aren't on the same page. Let us reframe and say, I get to address what is coming between us and reconcile our relationship to each other and to God. Let us view it as an opportunity, not an obstacle, not something we just have to push through. And let us pray, thank you, God, for this opportunity for oneness where we come together, for forgiveness, for grace, to grow in holiness together. Help us to meet where we are and surrender what is not of you, Jesus, over to you. In our families and with our kids, let us not say this is just a phase that they're going through. We have to get through, and instead let's reframe and say this is a phase. We get to experience God in it. Meet that phase head on and grow from what he wants you to take out of that phase. You realize There's reasons that kids freak out about every little thing. Not only is it the first time they've ever experienced it, but this is where you get to step in and you get to love them and you get to just put your arm around them and come alongside them and disciple them and say, hey, this is what's taking place in your life. Here's how we're going to get through it. This is what God's word says about this. This is what Jesus is about. This is how Jesus would react. And so this is how we react and we respond. So we meet that phase head on we get through that phase with jesus and then we take on the next one and we pray thank you god that you are at work in our family and in our kids at work instead of saying i just can't take my job anymore this isn't what i signed up for we reframe and we say this is a burden but this burden is a blessing and we remember the truth we go back to the very beginning in genesis 2 before the fall where Adam was put over the land to work the land. And what happens in Genesis 3, after the sin, after the fall? The land was cursed. And God says, the food that you eat, the bread that you eat, you will have to sweat for it. And so, is work always going to be a burden? Yes. And if it isn't yet, it will be. And you can go to another pasture, but eventually that grass is going to turn brown because you're going to wander through it long enough to see, oh, this isn't quite what I expected. So we reframe. This isn't just a burden. Yes, it is a burden, but it is also a blessing. We pray, God, thank you for providing. We reframe. This isn't just a paycheck, this is also a mission field. And we pray, God, thank you for this mission and these people you've called me to reach. And in any situation, whether that's marriage, whether that's with your kids, whether that's at work, or whether that's somewhere else in life, we'd say, I just can't do this anymore. Let us reframe and let us say, God, what a blessing to realize that my strength is so limited. Holy Spirit, fill the gap between where my strength lets up and where you need me to be to display the kingdom. And then let us pray. Thank you, God, for this opportunity, for others to see you at work in me and in my weakness. Church, in our problems, let us focus on his presence. Take our eyes off the mountains of our problems and realize that God is so much bigger and in control. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on his presence. And in the midst of problems, shift to a perspective of praise, knowing that God is in it with you, knowing that he can pull you through it, knowing that he is not going anywhere, and knowing that he is going to use it in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now over this church, over your body. God, there's so many problems that we know about. There's so many problems that we don't, that have been kept inside. Jesus, help us to lay those problems at your feet. Jesus, I pray in every problem that is taking place in this church this morning. Jesus, I pray that instead of focusing on that problem, that we would shift to your presence, and that we would focus on your presence, that we would feel your love, just like you met me in a closet as a little boy, that you would wrap me up. God, I pray that you would wrap every single person in this church up in a supernatural way, with your presence, God, that they would know that they are seen, that they would know that they are heard, that they are cared for, that you are with them, that you are present, and that you are big enough to take on whatever problem is in their life. And God, I pray that you would have your will, that you would work out for your kingdom, for your good, and for ours and following you, whatever those problems are there for in our lives that we would trust and we would lean in and that we would depend on you. And God, not only that we would depend and lean in on you, but Father, instead of focusing on those problems, we would focus on your presence. And out of focusing on your presence, that we would lift up our praise to you, that we would find a reason to be thankful in the midst of such a horrible time. Holy Spirit, inside of us, help us to identify the places in these hard times where we can be thankful. Help us to lift up our praise. Help us to lift up our worship. Help us to be Paul's. Help us to be Silas's. After being beaten by the crowd and beaten with rods and stripped and thrown into prison and immobilized even in prison, that we would find ways to wake up from being just completely concussed by the world and that we would find a reason to praise you to pray to you and to worship you. And Father, I pray that in the midst of all that, that you would use that in the lives of other people, that the prisoners around Paul and Silas heard that. I pray that the people around us in our lives would hear that, and through that relationship with you, that they would turn to you and find relationship in you and through you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that all of this is possible through your perfect life. We thank you for your death on the cross. It sets us free from sin, from death, and the enemy. And we thank you that you did not stay dead, but that you rose victorious. We thank you that we are forgiven for your sacrifice. We pray these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.